everyone. This is Challenging Trades. We have Chris and Drew on here, and the time is 5.48 Pacific time. And it currently is 8.48 Eastern Standard Time. This is your co-host, Chris Abarad, also co-founder of the business up here in the Northeast, ATM Crypto Coins, still the best and easiest way to exchange cash for cryptocurrency. And of course, for us uh, and everyone listening, this is a news and opinion source, and does not we do not provide investment advice. Not so in the least. Do don't do what we do. Don't think, do that at all. Don't, don't do what we do, as you will find out soon. But we will have a lot of fun topics, and we're really excited to get back at it. I just want to say I was unavailable to give everyone the the, the update this weekend, but. Um, you know, looking forward, we got already got one trading day under the belt this week, but that's okay. Uh, you know today what, though, we'll continue I, to look and review the past. I think it might be best for us to like talk about last week, essentially, because what's going to happen is, you know, we're going to cover this week um, on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, so we'll just I'm talk not, about the previous week and I'm then kind of keep focus there. I'm not going to be actually be here next time. So I do want to talk about today. <laughs> we can if you want. Day. Challenging Trades is also going to be brought to you at the end of this week as well. Um, What we're going to do is we're probably going to run it with myself, since Drew's going to be on vacation in Hawaii, and I'll probably have another guest speaker with me on a particular topic that we probably want to hit that we haven't done yet, or just revisiting a topic. We're going to figure that out as we go. Not terribly worried about it. It'll still be a lot of fun, and we'll still be here talking about this week. Excellent. Thank you, Chris, for that. Now, do you want to start us off here? So we have a very interesting agenda today, very high impact topics that are going to impact mainly millennials, actually. Um, uh, We're going to do the week in review here. We're going to talk the big topic. Today is going to be housing, one of Chris and my favorite debate topics, uh, among many others, which is great. This is one that we actually debate very, very well, too. We really fight this one out. Uh, Drew and I do not see very eye to eye on this topic. So if this is what you're really looking for, if you're looking for healthy, engaging, somewhat explosive debate, you're going to get it today. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is just one of the reasons why Chris and I love talking on the show is because He's coming at it from a completely different perspective as me, and nobody's wrong, nobody's right, apparently, mm-hmm. so far. So I, I think it's good to have that kind of healthy discussion. It, it is representative of a broader discussion that a lot of folks in, in politics and even today's younger generations, they need to know what's going on. They need to know what has happened in the past and how to prepare for the future, and we're here to add some perspective on that. Absolutely. So... I know you don't want to talk about today. It's okay. We, I, you know what? I can just rock back and forth in the shower um, thinking about today and then just looking towards the future. I, I do think last week was uh, a little more positive at the very end of the week, but, um, but still pretty indicative of the broader trend. We're seeing a lot of worry about inflation here, a lot of worry about the rate hikes. Rate hikes. I think Chris, though, he is definitely showing me up uh, this week in the challenge. Maybe uh, yes, if am. you wanted to start us all off today on the review, you can rub it in my face. That's okay. Um, I can take it. I've, I don't think I have anything left in me at this point, considering that <laughs> my favorite, uh, my favorite ETF dropped actually six or six percent today. Wow. Yeah, I saw it was a rough ETF day for XBI for sure. Never a fun day. 
<laughs> yeah, so I'll take it from here because I'm going to come at it from Tell a slightly more doing. optimistic perspective. Uh, so for those uh, for those of us, start us up. Yeah, for those of you that are uninitiated, right? We have a, a trade challenge in place. Uh, Drew has issued a challenge uh, with his ETF versus my ETF. I typically skew towards the crypto space. Drew is definitely more in the biotech space. Uh, so his choice was XBI uh, against my Beto ETF, which is a futures crypto ETF. A little bit different if we're comparing apples to apples. It's not exactly the same, but we are still going to be able to put these two head to head. And it does look like the futures crypto ETF, although not performing particularly well since December 31st is doing much better than Drew's XBI. So for anybody interested Trust in the me. numbers, I am, we're, I'm destroying you. So uh, XBI since December Crush, 31st has changed uh, <laughs> a total of negative 15.6% as of today's closing. And today is again, 118. Uh, and Beto uh, has changed a total from December 31st to today's closing at 118 of a negative 9.1%. Neither of us should be particularly proud. I should just be less unhappy than Drew. Which is killing me right now. A negative, you're happy about a negative one, 9.1% in, of, of an ETF in t- two and a half weeks. Look, and it's still better than a negative 15.6%. So you keep quiet down there. If you look at it, the negative 15.6%, if that was an entire year, it'd be the second or third worst year in record in the last 10 years for this index. Good news. Justin it's it's not points. the annual percentage drop. It's only 18 days. Yeah, it's going to be worse than that. I'm it's sure. it's a pretty rough ride and it's contradicting a lot of what we talked about probably towards the end of the year, uh, which is still a look. There's still plenty of year left ahead of us and we really got to watch this play out. So don't mm-hmm. be looking at today's numbers. There's still a lot of stuff on the horizon that's going to unfold, including <laughs> rate hikes in March, including inflation numbers, which are trending downward, but still sitting really, really high at over 7%. So something to be very wary of. And there are a few reasons to be a little bit more cautious right now. And again, I would definitely refer back to the episode where we talked about what to do in times like this, when things are a little bit tumultuous uh, is definitely hold your safer cards a little closer to the chest. Things like the S and P 500 are going to be your friend, but let's talk about this week in general. And Drew, why don't you give me like a two, three minute on, you know, what you saw from the beginning of last week, all the way to now we can include today if you want. I don't want, but I will. Um, thank you for that option, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna lay it out on, on the table right now. What I thought we were gonna see, and we saw a nice little gleam of hope on Friday afternoon. We really did. Was a lot of the longer term on on risk. It I, it was a serious. I thought we were gonna be good. Honestly, every single week is like that. You know, there's one or two days it gives you hope, and then the rest of the days kind of just says just joking. I'm uh, almost pissed that we didn't have this show on Saturday. Thanks for playing. Because if we had this show on Saturday, I would have come at this from a much more optimistic perspective. It would have been the best weekend. Yeah, this was a bad day, Uh, and this really, really hurt a lot of people. But the people it didn't hurt were those that bought. Activision, as we saw by a very large acquisition by Microsoft uh, today at $68.7 billion. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. I mean, that's that's not in the area that I play personally, but I like to see M&A activity, uh, especially mega deals. I love to see it. I like to see that people are still making those big acquisitions. And I think that that's going to be a trend for the first half into the second half of 22 beyond just tech. 
Yeah, and I think Microsoft made a great move. What else there. did you it, see? Microsoft Anything really, else good? Microsoft right now, and I want to have another episode about this where we have this as a big topic. This is a metaverse play. I don't care what you think. This is absolutely mm. a metaverse mm-hmm. play. The, meta, the metaverse is going to be introduced to most people through video games. NFTs are going to be part of that. Uh, whether or not we like NFTs, they are going to be a part of it. Um, crypto is going to be a part of that as well. But the I like them. The metaverse is coming and Facebook is doing its own metaverse. This is the way that Microsoft just purchased 400 million active users to add to its metaverse. Wow. Wow. That's just an incredible investment in the future. I said I like NFTs because I think that they're going to play an interesting role in the future of the metaverse. I'm not, for one, going to be really looking to be a part of the metaverse. Um, But I know a lot of people are excited about it and uh, investing heavily in that space. I think it's a great, I think it's it's something that's coming whether or not you want to participate in it. Um, That's what, it's going to be something that's going to be engaging and much like anything social media related, if you want to stay relevant, you want to communicate with your friends, you want to participate in what's active right now, you're Mm -hmm. going to be in the metaverse in some capacity, whether or not you're dipping your toes in it, or you're going all in with the immersive world that it's going to create for you. I think this is coming and it's going to be here to stay. So we'll talk about that on a future episode. And I really want to get into that because I think there's a lot of fun ways you can go about Mm -hmm. it, but you know, I'm going to keep it to the weekend review real quick. I'm going to do like a 30 second spiel, throw it over to Drew. We'll get this out of the way so we can really hit the hot topic. But so what I saw in the last week, all the way through to Monday was I saw a very up and down week. Honestly, we ended the week kind of on a high note, I would say probably two to 3% up the S and P 500 really looked nicely. Um, and so did the Dow and the NASDAQ towards the end of the week, all in all, it peaked upward. Now, if we're going to take into consideration today's uh, business day did not really help. We lost all of the gains that we had made and then some, so we're really looking at kind of an up and down time. There's I would say we're kind of going in a sideways pattern right now, and it's still hard to tell what's going to happen, but we're seeing a lot of death crosses for things in like the crypto space, for example. So it's a little... What's a death cross? Yeah, it's when your 50-day moving average is sitting at or below your 200-day moving average. And that typically is a sign of some very bad okay. activity. So those of us in the tech and the crypto space are starting to see some really mm-hmm. bad death crosses come, come along. And if we don't pull out mm-hmm. of those before we go further down it's going to spell really bearish momentum and it's going to spell some very big sell-offs. You're already seeing in the futures market, as you can tell by Beto in the crypto futures market, it's trending downward. Uh, And that's a really bad sign for what's coming in the future. Now, crypto does a very interesting pattern where you're going to lose a lot and make a lot and lose a lot and make a lot. So stay tight and don't try to pull your money out too early, but get ready for a bumpy ride. We're we're already uh, weathered on this road, this bumpy road. So it's going to be a long, tough road to recovery, I think. Yeah, but what did you see with more of your value plays and and your biotech kind of stocks last week? I mean, did you see the same kind of activity that I did? I feel like they had bottomed out, actually, Um, and even lifted off a bit towards the end of the week. But today just kind of rewrote the book on that to the point which I'm just – I know crypto didn't do very bad at all. Maybe some of the altcoins were a little lower. Uh, the, they kind of the, came and went, though. Crypto, Bitcoin, kind of. 
Yeah. And Bitcoin showed that it had it came more to 40,000. Like essentially Bitcoin held its support level, which yeah, I that's am, the good. That's really good. I'm astonished course. by it, to be honest with you. I really thought we were going to, we had a moment there where it dropped below the 40 K mark. And I thought we were going to lose support. If we had done mm-hmm. that, the altcoins would have had a big sell off as well. So anybody that's holding on to crypto right mm-hmm. now, if you did get in last year before the big pump in November, which happened very quickly. We went from like 45 to 63 K very fast. Um, if you're held at any point before that, or even after that, you're probably okay. So I, I'm happy about crypto right now. I really am. I, I was thinking that it was going to tie to inflation or tied to like technology and meme stocks, which just got battered, but it's holding its own. And I'm, and I'm actually really impressed by that. I think that was a good move by you. If I had a bell right now, I'd ring it. Um, we'll get one and now I, I, I got stuck. We both need bells whenever we want to make a closing, uh, whenever we want to give each other some kudos, we can ring the bell. No, it reminds but me too I much of Jim Cramer. I hate that last guy. week with financial stocks. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll do a buzzer then. Sorry, Jim. I didn't mean uh, to call you out on that <laughs> one, joking. but, uh, you know, I, <laughs> Look, I'm not a big fan. Uh, if, if you want to, if you want to have a conversation with us on the podcast, feel free to reach out to us at any point, and we will talk to you about why yeah, I don't he, like you. He, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did fall into a bull trap last week. I thought financial stocks were going to do really well, and I put in some money to J.P. Morgan, and then a week, couple days later, I lost ten percent on that. Goldman Sachs reported bad earnings today, so I just feel like everything I touch is just not. Like if I feel like if I put cash under my pillow, uh, I will I will look the next morning. There'll just be a tooth or something. If you, you put cash I mean? under your like pillow, you'll have like nothing under I'm your pillow. Lose the next it all. Day. Because if you tell me there's cash under your pillow, I am absolutely breaking into your house and I'm taking all of it. <laughs> what 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 little cash I have left right now? I will take it. It's I don't not... care. I've lost all my money and I will take all of yours. <laughs> I need some more dry powder. Let's go find some dry powder to lose so look all in all this this week has been rough right (laughs) to say the least like listen to drew this is that's the most nervous laugh i've ever heard out of this man and he has he is the king of nervous laughter so this has been a bad bad week um and it's gonna i hate to say this probably gonna get worse so without continuing to beat a dead horse we're gonna we're gonna have our listeners want to know the good news yeah, we, and, we're and spreading the good none. word. Here. I have not. Okay. I'm a realist, and I'm going to tell you exactly <laughs> what what's happening. But as a spoiler alert, at the end of the show, we're going to have our week ahead kind of planning, and and it's not going to be pretty if you're listening to me and you like the way that I think about things. I don't know if Drew's going to have a different perspective, but I really hope so. Uh, going forward, um, I'm going to be on vacation, so uh, the stock market is not going to be existing to me. Uh, other than I'm going to look at my screen maybe once at the beginning and then once at the end and try to count out how, how much money I lost. Yeah, but instead of your I family think it's seeing be you a crying, bad just week. jump in the pool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to feel sad for like half of a second and then I'm going to go snorkeling. Yeah, that so, sounds like a good idea. I think, by and the way, for those that's of you that are looking for what to for do during downtimes, kind of, for those of you looking for what to do during, during downtime, recessions, find a happy thing to do like snorkeling and go do that and put your phone somewhere where you can't see it or access it until the end of the trading day. <laughs> and then maybe look at it before you go to bed. If you're the kind of person that likes to go to bed with tears in their eyes, that's going to be your future for the next six months. 
It reminds me of when I went to Jamaica in March of 20, uh, 2009, which is essentially the lowest point of the Great Recession. And I was on the beach with an Italian hedge fund manor, manager who just sort of looked at me and he waded into the water and just was playing around in the water after telling me he'd lost $10 million. Did so he come back? I, ever since then, I've kind of looked at that guy. I bet I bet he's bit, bit better than ever right now. So, but did, but but did, he, did time, he walk? He did he just that, keep that, walking did, into the, the water, thing... or did he come back? <laughs> he, he he didn't take off his shoes. He he just, he... <laughs> just <saying. laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, I've had enough of Drew laughing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to transition into our big topic now. So we are going to debate the future of the housing market today. This is going to be a rocky ride. So, okay, let me put it in perspective. Or you hate it. Let me put this into perspective for everybody that's listening here and give you love it or hate it. A little bit of our background on top on where we sit because it's hard to kind of see our points of view if you aren't fully comprehending the state the state that we're in right so i am a house i'm a homeowner i own my home i bought it in 2019 he's a landowner i own land and because i own land i have a very different perspective he's a on landowner. it i've seen For my three equity, years i've Hot seen diggity dog. Oh, i had a house before that too and so <laughs> did you and i've seen my equity grow um with this housing market pop mm-hmm. that we've seen over the last two years i'd say and drew who had a home before sold his home moved to california is now looking for a home and he's having the same kind of debate that a lot of people right now are in the middle of which is mm-hmm. do i wait or do i buy right because it, a lot of people that i've talked to have been saying kind of the same things and that is this is a bubble It's going to crash. I'm going to hold my money and I'm going to wait for the right opportunity. And I've heard a lot of people on the other end also saying, this is not a bubble. This ain't going to, this not ain't, this isn't going to go down. This is a situation where you should be buying in now. If you really want to be able to get the most affordable price for your home, because it can only go up from here. Now, Drew and I have debated this back and forth over the course of the week. And we transitioned our topic away from China because This just seems like the right thing to talk about right now. So for those of you that are in the position that were positions that we're in, which I would say the majority of Americans are either looking to buy a home if they are over the age of 30. And the, and then there's also a lot of Americans that have a home if they're over the age of 35 or 40, that's typically the demographic that you're seeing. Um, I could be wrong with those numbers. I'm generalizing, but at the same time, these are relevant conversations that we want to have with you folks. And I think will be really beneficial down the line. So Let's talk about the housing market. And I think Drew's done a lot of research on it right now. Um, so I want him to kind of paint the picture. What are we looking at right now? Sure. Yeah, no, um, I, I've been looking at it just to give folks background. Um, I, I used to be a, a homeowner myself, actually a landlord for a while. And um, and today, uh, you know, my wife and I looking for a house since last year, yeah, when I say last year, I mean January 21, started looking for a house. Uh, the month was January and it was the lowest inventory of all time. Um, but it was before, oh, the pr- prices had already ri- uh, risen about 10%. As we all know, they, they raised, uh, they kept going up and they have been going up, but slowing down recently. So with the, and, and by the way, the interest rates too, when I was looking, were about two, less than two and a half percent 
also one of the lowest interest rates, if not the lowest, um, sorry, mortgage rates of all time. So zero inventory, but very, very cheap money. Um, and that's where we were when we were looking for a house. Now, since then, of course, uh, we were not able to find the house in the amount of time that we needed to. Um, but, you know, we've been always keeping our, a pulse on the market, checking it out uh, from time to time, seeing what the affordability is, because that's the metric that uh, the National Association of Realtors present. Uh, actually, they have a, a longstanding record of housing affordability across different markets, you know, Southern California being one, uh, New England being another one. And they have a calculation based on discretionary income, basically the percentage of, of, of first-time home buyers that can afford a median priced home based on it's like a it's like a genie it's like a genie rate or something where they have insurance you have your mortgage interest your principal payment um all the uh pmi so everything that that would go into that is this one big lump sum payment it's percentage of your income and they basically look at that to track affordability so a big piece of that is interest rates they went from about 4% in 2019 to down to 2.5% by the end of 2020, a huge drop in a short amount of time. And that, of course, has spurred a lot of folks to, of course, the pandemic and the fact that people are valuing their homes, now they're able to work virtually. That, that I agree with, I'm sure, with Chris and everyone else, that's a permanent increase in the, I think, the square footage value of homes. Correct. Uh, the question today is, I'm not, I'm not saying is, is, is acquiring a house last year or even earlier this year a great investment. I think you lock into the house you like for a low mortgage rate is, is going to be a great investment, you know. But the outlook, which I'm sure Chris is most interested in hearing my perspective on and everyone else, uh, is a lot more complicated than that. You hear, and Chris can say, you know, Fannie Mae projecting seven or eight percent increases. At the same time, you're seeing folks like Zillow get out of the market with their impress investment flipping, house flipping for a number of reasons. So <laughs> investors continue to make up an unusually high percentage of, of home buyers, single family home buyers right now. But there are a lot of, I think, warning signs that shouldn't be ignored, despite the incredible price momentum that we've seen over the last 12 months. Yeah. And so, so I, what I want to do right now is like, Chris, I, as a homeowner, what do you yeah. think? So I want, so what I've, what I've done here is I've outlined three different scenarios and I want us to talk about each one of those scenarios with as little bias as possible and talk about how they, how they could play out. Right. So I want you to kind of exercise your other side of your brain here and think about, you know, we're going to think about each other's side of the coin. Right. And I'm going to, we're going to start with scenario one, which is prices continue upward. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that there's enough rationale that you have as well on why that could happen. So personally, I'm going to give you my perspective on scenario one. So there's two other scenarios. Scenario two is we get a crash, the bubble burst. And scenario three is we flatline, right? We kind of coast on where we are. And, you know, maybe we stay with flat for where we are for the time being after a really high growth period. But we're going to talk about the other two in a moment. Let's talk about scenario one. Scenario one is the prices continue higher. Right now, uh, I'll give you a couple of reasons why I think that could be the case. Currently in Massachusetts, where I live, there is only 2,000 homes on the market, which is historically the lowest supply in the history of 
Massachusetts since 1998. So right now we have the lowest amount of inventory. On top of that, we've got record high buyer numbers and mortgage applications. Now that will drop to Drew's credit. I think that that will come down uh, because once the rates start to go up, which they have been trending up now in 2022, uh, and I think they're going to continue that way. Um, in 2019, he was correct. The, the rates were sitting around four, four and a quarter percent. Now the rates are sitting after being as low as around two and a half percent, they're sitting up around three and a half percent again, three and a quarter to three and a half, which is very, very low if you look at the average um, home interest rate. So there's still a lot of applications that are going to be out there, um, less so than before, but the inventory is a lot lower than it used to be. Why do I think this momentum will continue and why do I think home prices won't go down from here? Not only flatline, but just you know, continue upward is because I think that regardless of income and regardless of historic data, right, which we saw a very big blip in that data in 2020 when a pandemic hit and kind of shifted the way home buyers think about what they need in a home, the amount of space they need, proximity to the city, remote work really started to become a big thing here. So that changed the buyer's perspective on what's important. And because of that, uh, I think people aren't going to forget about this pandemic anytime soon. I, we're still in the middle of it, maybe towards the tail end of it. I really hope that's the case because frankly, I'm getting a little burned out by the entire conversation about the pandemic. And I really don't want more fellow Americans and people to die. So I really would like this to end, but that's a separate note altogether. But in reality, we are still in it. And because we're still in it, that mentality has continued to shift towards larger homes. Uh, the inventory again is at a drastic low. And the third aspect is even with incomes not rising at the same rate as inflation, even with incomes not matching the rate of home value increases, people are still getting approved for loans, which they are getting approved for loans post 2008 housing crash, which are valid loans. And they are still putting the money up. So sellers have seen now what home, what home buyers are willing to spend. And because of that, they aren't going to take less. We may have just, what, what I think really may have happened here is we've just, we haven't created a bubble. We've just created a new floor. And if that is the case, the primary markets, those that are in high demand areas, major cities, or, you know, areas that really see a, a larger mortgage application rate versus the amount of inventory on market, those places I don't think are going to drop. In fact, they may continue their upward trend even post pandemic. Um, the, the areas I see getting the little, the little bit of relief that they might get would be the secondary markets, those with you know, a significant number of significantly less mortgage applications uh, with a good amount of a healthy amount of inventory on the market. Uh, unless that inventory and demand shifts at any point, I can see this continuing to climb. Drew, do you have any reason to believe that this could go up? The housing, like the average housing, median housing. Yeah, price. like play, play devil's advocate here. Like, I know you want to see it go down and I know you think that it probably will, but play the other side of the coin for 10 seconds with me. And like, could you see this going up? I think the problem is that inflation is going up 10% annually, which is far above the historical last 20 years to 15 years of 2%. And when you see housing prices go up 16%, they're only really going up 6%. You got to realize that as, as an appreciation. That, that's correct. Because you know? inflation factored like, into that's 10 the key thing uh, and the rate understand. of housing value went up 16. So really you divide out, you take out that 10% inflation, 
which is going to raise the price either way, you're at 6% increase on the house. So is that really as big a jump as we felt that it was? It was because uh, to your point, um, the number one way Americans build wealth is through their home equity, right? So that's they, something that I told Drew earlier this to week. take out loans. They're well, I, I never pushed back on that. I just no, think you didn't. that you didn't. historically, to be fair to Drew, if you look at inflation, if you look at inflation adjusted housing prices, the last time that Feds had to rein in super high interest rate, super high inflation with high interest rates was in the eighties, in the early nineties. And the, the, the price for an inflation-adjusted house in 1989 was higher than it was in the late 90s. So it essentially took 10 years for the price of a house, inflation-adjusted, to hit what it was before during the last time rates were this high. So uh, true. To, uh, just to ask the question one high. more time. And thus, and thus rates will have to be that high. Do you think this will go up? Do you, like, uh, there's no scenario that you're so running in your head where you if think you it will look- go up? No, no. If you look, if you look at Case Shiller, the the price is de- is acceleration is decreasing. It's decelerating, still going up, but at a less pace than it was before. Now, if you look at the last three to four price uh, interest rate rate hikes mm-hmm. during the year that they re- raise interest rates, that tends to go up. It actually tends to go up. It takes a while for housing prices to respond to the higher costs of borrowing money to the effect that even one or two years after, you're still going to see price increases. Now, almost every single time you look at that, prices end up going down year two and three. Okay, so, they, year, so you see four. them coming back so down in you, time. In time. Over the next five years, I think the inflation-adjusted price of a house, if, you, if we bought one today, if I said we found the right house, we're, we're cool living in it, I'd have to be cool not having an increase on my investment besides, of course, inflationary effects until five years from now, at least, so, in order to have that same value. I'm not saying there's, it, there's no value in the tax benefits of owning a house. There's no value in paying, you know, accumulating equity, but that isn't to say that insurance is going to be much higher than usual. Uh, PMI is going to be higher because you're not going to be able to afford a full down payment. Of course. And then, you know, insurance, I already mentioned insurance being higher repairs associated with, with depreciation of the asset will be a lot more expensive. Um, so you have to really factor in all the maintenance aspects of owning a house as well to really figure out the full appreciation. So I wouldn't so, think of it. So, as so with a that great being said, yeah, think of no, it it's, it's as true. a great life choice. No, and, and but the, the thing is though, right? So it may not be the best investment in terms of comparing it to other investments, right? But in in general, it is. We both agree. Uh, one of the primary wealth drivers mm-hmm. of the, especially the American middle class. So with that being said, do you think, like you're saying it's going to drop in years two, three, four, potentially somewhere in that range, not initially after the mm-hmm. potentially, yeah. but, but based on your data and the right. information you found, it should drop a bit. Do you think that that's going to happen in the primary markets? Like I mentioned before, uh, or do you think that's going to mostly happen in the secondary markets? that will pull the average value down. So by primary markets, you mean new builds or? No, I mean major cities where the demand is typically higher than the amount of. Oh, okay. 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 Um, You know what? Some of the biggest price increases that we've seen are not in big cities. Actually, big cities didn't do very well recently. So they're not, I don't think they're much at risk as some of the other places like cities in Florida. I think uh, maybe seven out of the top 10 uh, places with the greatest 
price gains were in the Sun Belt as people fled the colder northern cities to be able to work in their time zones, say in Florida or Texas. So some of those, and even away from California into like Idaho, like price gains of 40 or 50 percent. Um, I, I don't think that's very sustainable. I think there will be an adjustment in those secondary markets, to your point. Primary markets are going to have a floor under them, I think. Um, they're not going to see crazy price gains, though. I really don't think so. I think that because it's a capitalist society, for better or for worse, that we live in, we're going to see um, we're going to see supply and demand forces. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I think legislation that comes out. And, and I'm glad everything. you mentioned that. I think those are the really the only driving factors at play here when it comes to areas that have that kind of demand, right? Where a house isn't seen as a value proposition; it's more seen as you know a necessity to to building equity, building wealth. And where you normally see the constant increases in price, um, you know, I think that's going to continue just for reference, just for reference. And I'm only bringing up this information because I think it's relevant. Um, In 2008, during the housing crash, where I live and where you lived at the time too, actually in Boston, Massachusetts, we saw... So nationwide, the reduction of value in a home was around 28%. That's nationwide. That's coast to coast, north to south. In Massachusetts, we saw less than 10% of a reduction in value. So knowing that, I think where you see those big drops, where the data shows the big drops nationwide, you aren't going to see those big drops hit where you may or may not want to live. It just depends on what your location preference might be. So keep that in mind. But I'm going to extend an olive branch to Drew on this one. Uh, he did mention in the major cities that there wasn't as much of an increase in price. And he is absolutely correct. In Boston, Massachusetts, uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, what we saw was the first year in 10 years. So from 2010 to 2020, 2020 was the first year where the, uh, the value of a home in Massachusetts did not exceed the percentage of value that we saw across the nation. The percentage increase was not at or above Interesting. the increase in value across the nation, which is incredible considering how valuable places Very like Boston are. So you won't see those mm-hmm. big drops because they didn't go up as high. I think you, you might just see them continue to stabilize as the demand for city growth, city living continues to come back. Absolutely. Great point. Thanks for throwing it in there. Um, I guess we only have a couple more seconds left here on the big topic. Of but the I, do wanna, I, I do want to hear more from you, not... Drew, on it. I, I, want, I want you to talk about one more like piece of it, though. Do you... One more piece. I, you know what? I want you to... As we a, talked about a, demand. Demand's going to be good. From As a potential home buyer, though, I want to hear your, 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 your elevator pitch on this. Do you wait now or do you buy now? Right. That is the question that you is unique for every a family, every person that that is looking at the market. After grueling days, several dark days, seeing housing prices just astronomically increase right as we were going to buy a house and not even making an offer and writing a letter to the homeowner, you know, saying, pouring our heart out to get a house and then being overbid by a hundred grand that has taken a toll on a lot of folks that have just withdrawn themselves from the market. And absolutely clearly you need to have stable incomes. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk because of the renter memorandums. There's the housing memorandums. A lot of unusual programs were in effect. Even the, even the student loan program still in effect now 
in January 2022. So there's a lot of artificial, I think, support right now. Um, they are, and, and you know, it's really interesting. Housing starts have a little bit recently. The values of homes are going way over the appraisals too. So people are having to put a lot of money out of pocket because the bank doesn't value mm-hmm. the home nearly as high. That is a red flag to me. It's a, that's showing that the home value increase is not lining up with the bank's valuation of the home. That to me shows us, shows me a bit of an issue, which leans me to your side, which I think that that's, that's a big red flag. I'm really hoping there's not a crash. I'm not like that. I know a lot of millennials are right now. They've been waiting for a housing crash since essentially 2018, 2017. But I don't think that that is going to happen. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're still treading in very unfamiliar waters. Assets are extremely expensive right now. Interest rates are going up. Home affordability is the lowest it's ever been since 2007. Mm -hmm. And the interest rates were already sky high in 2007. So when they, so they could have lowered them, but now they can't really lower them to make things more affordable. So that's a very unusual situation where I can't comment on where I think it's going to go. So what's the fix? What's what's the fix to that affordability issue? You're not going to, I just think that unless you're going to wait it out, potentially up to five years, you may not get a good deal in a house. Um, you may it's, it's kind of hard to see what's going to happen after five years as well. Honestly, higher. we're not psychics. We don't really know. After five years, you know, the pandemic ideally will be over. The The buyer mentality will shift. The interest rates will be vastly mm-hmm. different than what they are right Maybe. now, which are incredibly low. They might not be different. We have right. no idea. But all we know is, and I side with Drew on this, you know, final closing statement, which is, If you are in the market to buy a home and you have the availability and the opportunity to buy a home, it's not easy to do it right now. The home you like. The home you like and the place that you want to live. It's really, really difficult to do, but I don't think it's beneficial to continue to wait. Uh, I don't see this become, I don't see much relief coming your way from either government funded issues or programs coming your way. I don't see much in terms of uh, salary um, uh, inflation coming your way to match the home values. I don't see much coming that's really going to give you the relief that you're looking for. So if you're on that side of the fence where you feel as though I'll wait now and, and hold my money closer to my chest. And when, when the housing market drops, I'll buy something. I, I really don't think that we have good news for you. And it just doesn't feel like it's coming. Just make sure though, that you are comfortable living in that house for five to seven years, that your commute is not extremely long. You're not buying a house really far away because virtual could go away as, as quickly as it came. Um, and also make sure that you have money saved up. Um, at least hundred K is the rule of thumb for a lot of people to have in cash. Buying a house is, is risky in the short term and don't buy a house now. If, if you want to just rent it out, it costs are really high. Being a landlord is not easy. It wasn't easy before. Certainly not easy now. Um, be really careful with that. It's not going to be a sure shot. Z- Zillow tried to do it and they failed. I, we could talk um, about that you know, at another be really point because I think that their either. idea was kind of half-baked. Uh, I think that there still is opportunity for investing firms to get involved <laughs> in housing. And I think Zillow just went at it from a really, I don't know, <laughs> very lighthearted standpoint that didn't pay out. In fact, it cost them quite a bit of money. They, they were better off sticking with their core business. But at the same time, Drew's not wrong. Uh, rent can't go up much higher than this. So if you're buying to invest and buying to rent, be very careful. 
Um, and honestly, I, your $100,000 rule isn't a bad rule. Uh, but at the same time, I've heard have two years of mortgage payments with uh, real estate taxes and everything in the backup. So whatever that might be to you. Okay, that's, that's very what, good. That's what I've heard. Have yeah, two years of runway. It's available uh, obviously unique. That's a very good. And I think that's the best advice. It's not investment advice. It's just life advice. I, you know what? I'm willing to say that that's really so. just good financial like uh, rule of thumb. I'm not going to say advice, but it's it's a great way to keep yourself from being <laughs> in a very risky position um, because it's always better, especially with home values going in, a, in such a crazy way to keep yourself on the side of being safe, to keep yourself on the side of not going what we consider house broke uh, because you've invested too much money in a home that frankly, the bank didn't think was worth that much. So be very careful and do your due diligence as you're buying a home um, and, and make sure it's the right home for you mm-hmm. because Drew is also onto something and maybe a topic we'll cover in the future, which is, is remote work here to stay? What's the economic impact mm. of keeping it or, or dismissing it altogether? And are people going to be, um, you know, uh, engaged with going back to the office or not. Some people will, some people won't. We can debate that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I also want to give Drew a very high amount of praise for this episode because he got real fired up this week. And this is, I know a topic that's very (laughs) close to his heart because it's a, and it's one that's close to a lot of Americans hearts right now, because it's becoming more and more painful by the day to watch the home that you've saved for slip through your fingers because of the values going bananas. So you know, Drew isn't wrong to feel passionate about this. He's actually very correct because it's something that is impacting a lot of Americans' ability to grow wealth, to seek appropriate shelter, and, and to have something, to have mm-hmm. a piece of the, the American dream, right? This is what we all want. This is what we all it's strive the American for. American pie, yeah. <laughs> we want our piece of land. We want our piece of this world to call our own, to have for ourselves. And it's becoming more and more and more impossible the target keeps moving and it's becoming so difficult that Americans are getting very discouraged by it. So keep your head up, keep saving, do the right things for yourself financially. And, and if you have the opportunity to get yourself a home that you want, please go ahead and do it because I think that that's the right move to make at this point. Don't yeah, wait. Stop, don't wait, but don't try to time the market. I mean, we, we try to time the market all the time here on, on challenging trades. And that's one of the reasons why our trades are so challenging. <laughs> so I think we're the ones challenged because if you look that... at our challenge here, it's, it's not, I'm down minus 9.1%. Exactly. We tried to time the market for that. I'm sure we are. We are not doing good. Fucking... We're not doing good. So you know what? Take everything that we just put a grain of salt <laughs> and maybe a shot of penicillin. I don't know. Either way. Uh, <laughs> I got a funny okay, story. Look, we're I got a really funny ahead. story for you this week. Can we no, do no, something no. funny, please? Yes. I, I want to do something really funny. So the F uh, the FAA is fighting with AT&T and Verizon right now. And it is hilarious because essentially what they're doing is they're saying that they can't roll out 5G because it's going to prevent, it's going to maybe, they don't even know, they've run zero tests, maybe disrupt the airline traffic frequencies that are, that are involved for landing in poor weather. Here's what's hilarious about that. Uh, a, AT&T and Verizon have been telling the FAA to go up pound sand for about, I don't know, three weeks now. And right now they're going to roll it out. They don't really care anymore. And the reason that the oh thing that they keep God. telling the FAA to do and the thing that most Americans don't realize is happening with this 5G rollout is they rolled this out in France already. And they've worked very closely with the French equivalent of the FAA. And guess what? 
5G has absolutely 0% impact on any air travel frequencies. And the FAA is still, they're preemptively canceling flights. They are, they're making a big mess of things that they have done no research on. Interesting. And it's just preventing the rollout of new frequencies that impact nothing. So I think this is absolutely <laughs> hilarious because all it takes is one quick outreach to the French version of the FAA to realize, hey, I guess this isn't a fucking problem. So you know, I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just so funny to me because I see this across the news right now and people are losing their minds. They, they're taking down 5G cell towers. They're throwing away their 5G phones. They're fighting. The FAA is yelling at them. Oh, no. It's like it's is that, getting, why, my, is that why my American tower has been going down? Uh, did you set it on fire? Because <laughs> apparently a lot of Americans shot. are trying to do that. <laughs> Anyone want a Samsung? 5g phone throw it away just throw your throw your 5g phone away because you won't be able to land your cessna Uh, this is i'm gonna keep tabs on this report as as things unfold i think this is hilarious like it's so funny that a there's no due diligence being had there's no outreach being had to those that have already implemented it there's zero percent impact to any air traffic that's being had in france or europe across the board with this 5g rollout and yet because this is america we can just be like, no, don't do it. It's no, you know, it's, it's going to mess things up. We just don't want it. <laughs> yeah. That's surprising. I, I think that France would have more restrictions than the U S to tell you the truth. They've been running this for six months. Just goes to show you. This goes to show. It's just like, it's, it's literally just the FAA going, we think this could be a problem. They're, they're going, they're going with their hunch so hard that they are canceling flights right now that don't need to be canceled because 5g is about to roll out wow and they have no data and when they're asked why they're canceling flights they just they have no data it's probably because their workers are all sick with covid or something they're trying to make excuses up now it's just hilarious it's like dude all right like do some research before you want to shut down air traffic i know the aviation industry has been having a tough is continuing having a tough time here all right. So look, we're running a little uh, late on time. That housing conversation was really great though. I really enjoyed it. And again, kudos to Drew for keeping it together on that one because he was yelling at me earlier in the week and it was awesome. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, he really kept himself in check. I got all my rage, my rage out. Yeah. Oh, I, I got all my rage out. I may or may not so copy and paste more, more the G chat conversation we had earlier this week and put it on our website. So if I do, I'll let all of you guys know. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's Sounds do this. Great. We're going to skip the corner of the week. week. Uh, I, let's skip the corner of the week. Let's just talk about we're gonna skip the corner of the week. Okay. Uh, let's end it on a good note. Chris I want Scott. you because you are you are obviously a model of self-control right now. I want you to give me it's not gonna be a good note. Why don't you give me your bad it's note then? I want to hear you finally on <laughs> give me everything. I am uh, I've made peace with myself. I've made peace with the housing market, I've made peace <laughs> with the uh, with XBI. <laughs> it sounds like I'm an obituary be, or like a suicide I, I can't tell what's going on anymore i'm i'm gonna be in hawaii in a couple days and i'm gonna come back with a new set of stock investments that are gonna lose money <laughs> i'm just joking you're not I'm gonna joking. come back with it i think we all needed to take a break yeah, I will invest in a lot more highly speculative <laughs> <laughs> assets that are definitely not going to do very well. 
and then I'm going to get yelled at by my wife. So, all right. So, and like, give me, give, me, give me the 15 seconds <laughs> on, like, what do you think for your existing portfolio is going to happen over the next four? No, actually, right. it's Tuesday. So, Here over the next three Here trading Rapid days. fire. Financial is bad. Um, there's going to be more earnings. This is the first big earnings release. we got a couple big guys coming up. So, I think financials are going to be going to continue to do pretty badly. We might see better. I saw commodities jumped a bit. So maybe materials might do a little bit better. I think XBI and crypto are going to continue to do poorly because I've lost my hope in them. And where would I invest? Uh, I would say any of the big Dow companies are going to do good. Dividend. Any div- I'd get a high yield dividend stale stalwart, like a, just like a, a big money-making company right now. Good brand. What is it? A bellwether, as Benjamin Graham would say. Mm-hmm. I'd pick some bellwethers this week if, if you had any fresh powder left. Don't 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 do any more of what we've been doing. Uh, and that's kind of not just this week, but I think that's going to carry on to next week too, until we can figure out what's going on with the with the interest rate with uh, inflation and some of the new production measures coming out of the Omicron scare this last month and a half. Yeah, so I'm I'm with Drew. That's, that's one. I, I say play it a little close to the chest here. Uh, don't look for the next Activision purchase. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some really big M and A uh, acquisitions um, across the board in 2022. Really be on the lookout for that. Some companies did, as we mentioned in a couple mm-hmm. of podcasts before this one, got beat up pretty badly to the point where they might be good pickups. So look at any information that's mm-hmm. indicating that there's a buyout on the horizon, but don't try to play it perfectly. Um, if you get a, a whiff of something early, go for it. I think that crypto is going to continue to trade sideways, at least for the foreseeable future. So we're not big ups, not big downs. You're going to see dips and peaks, uh, even intraday on that. But what we are seeing with crypto that I really like is that it's it's actually playing into its inflation hedge narrative for the first time in a long time, um, where we saw when the mm-hmm. CPI came out. Mm-hmm. Last that was really week. good news. Yeah, the crypto jumped when yeah. the CPI news came out last week. So I was surprised. I was also surprised by that. It was a long time coming where we saw that narrative actually come to life and uh, they really felt like there was no backing to it. So this is the first indicator that I'm seeing that it is an inflation hedge. Take that with a grain of salt. It's one moment in time that we saw that happen. Uh, I expect it to continue to trade sideways. Again, we mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but we're seeing a couple of really bad death crosses here for both Ethereum and Bitcoin. If those two really mm. start to come down, stay away from them for quite some time because <clears throat> they're, they're going to take a little while to regain their footing. But adoption last year was good. It may keep them propped up, even if they hit their death crosses, which they're in the middle of right now. We'll have to see who wins on this one, the bulls or the bears. So tech as a whole, though, is where I'm kind of invested in as well. Be very wary of where that's going. I think the tech sector is going, like when rates go up, inflation rates, you know, when the rate hikes come in March to combat inflation, the ones that the sectors that typically get hurt the most include tech. So that's going to be a painful experience for those of you like myself who are holding tech. Uh, and it's, it's going to take some time for that recovery to really come to life. Don't make any. Crazy what about the m a of Activision? Activision. That's, a, that's an outlier, that right? That's going to be a boon for like some meta, some meta. I mean, could that be a four bringer of some m a activity to come for maybe mid cap, small cap meta plays? Ooh, I like where your head's at here. I think there's a lot of precedent that's going to get set here. 
Um, and it's, it's going to mm-hmm. set up, it's going to mm-hmm. set up the playing field for other companies to want to try to achieve the same thing that Microsoft is doing if they play this right. So we really need to see what they do with this acquisition and the number of users that they, they just picked up. If they do this properly and retain those 400 million users and add to that base, they can really make a big dent in what Facebook's plan is for the metaverse. I want to talk about that in a future podcast. So let's hold that thought from here. But I do think that that where you're going with this, though, the reading between the lines is what I really like to hear. And it's it it prompted me to think about this in a way that I didn't. What other companies follow suit? What other acquisitions get made and how are they utilized? Mm. We're going to have to wait and see what Microsoft does here. It's exciting, though. This is a real this is a really exciting time. I think we're going to see a big shift in how the technology and the user base is used, depending on who acquires them. Um, Facebook's meta play can hold its own because of its current users that it has across all the platforms it acquired. This is a big indicator on what Microsoft feels about the metaverse, not only because of the users it acquired and the, and the, and, you know, the amount of money it spent, but it's just the magnitude of all of it. The number of users acquired in one fell swoop, and this is by far, and Microsoft is about 50 years old now, so it's a very old company. The largest purchase before this by Microsoft was LinkedIn, and that was in the 20s, 26 or 27 billion. Oh yeah, I remember that one. This exceeded it by over double. So there's a lot of value here that we're not seeing yet, and it's more than just buying Call of Duty and the gaming and the gaming shop here with World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, uh, StarCraft, and all the other things. Mm-hmm. That the, uh, all the users. Creates. It's not only the users, it's what they're going to do that we don't know yet that makes that worth $68.7 billion because there's more to this than meets the eye to make that acquisition for Microsoft. And again, the largest acquisition by a long ways in its 50 year history. That is great. Uh, a great light here for us to hold on to and I, I do agree that there will be more M&A activity to come, not just for um, not just for tech companies, but uh, but beyond that, you know, the, the, the everything's cheap. We're, we're seeing it. Other bigger companies are seeing it. So it'll pick up and that'll drive investor interest towards the second half of the year. I just think it'll be choppy. If, if I were to make a prediction, and, and I, I hope you're right about that I think that's going to start making some good acquisitions, not only in the tech space, but in the, but, but buying tech infrastructure, I see Samsung coming in to bully a lot of other companies out and, and buy them. Samsung uh, wants to make big moves. So I think that this could be a really great year for them. If I'm thinking really far down the line, they are poised to get involved in a lot of different projects right now. And I think they, then and, and they're cash heavy. I think they want to get involved in what the bigger players that typically play a little bit above their pay grade do. And that includes companies like Microsoft. I think they want to start fighting the bigger fights. So keep an eye out for them too. Um, you were absolutely perfect and spot on by saying MNA is going to be big this year. This is going to be the year for it. I think so. A lot of companies have made a lot of money from this pandemic. Microchip companies like Samsung and uh, semiconductor companies, but also big biotech, big pharma companies that made a ton of money off these mandates are going to look for acquisition targets too. So that's just something that we're going to kind of end the the, the week on. Um, again, crazy week. If you've been trading this week, 
We feel your pain. We're here with you. We're crying with you. Drew's going on a vacation, though, so he's going to cry. Unless you've been shorting. He's going to go cry in Hawaii, and uh, I don't care about what his opinion is from here on out because he's got a smile on his face, which makes no sense to me. Uh, I, on the other hand, will continue to be here in snowy, cold Boston, and I will be miserable with the rest of you degenerate. So what's going to happen next week is I'm going to see you all next week. I'll probably bring a guest in with me to give a little bit of new flair and perspective on what's happening here. Maybe somebody that's a little bit more positive mm-hmm. than Drew. And that literally means I could pick up a homeless person from the street <laughs> on, the, on the air and you'd be fine. Um, but regardless, look for some new voices. It's going to be a boring week. show then. No, we sure. are going to keep things rolling. Uh, it's going to be, um, today was a bad day, right? But I hope and I pray that the next three days of trading really start to correct this drop that we saw and then bring back some of the losses that we felt. We'll keep you abreast of that. Look for the show on Saturday. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to challenging trades. Please remember this is an yeah. opinion and news source. We do not provide any investment advice, even though we gave you some really good investment information and some news and opinions and lifestyle recommendations. So happy again to have, have you share, share this experience with us looking forward uh, for me, at least getting back at it uh, in about two weeks. So good luck. Uh, actually around that time will be the end. will be the end of our trading challenge, our first challenging trade trade challenge. So we'll see if XBI can come back from the dead. We'll see. I I look smug right now, Drew. I look smug right now. But at the same time, this time on the 8th of January, you were kicking my ass. So we don't know what's going to happen. The next few trading days are going to be crazy. We don't know. They are. Get ready, guys. Say, uh, get your seatbelts on. It's going to be wild red. Buckle up, buckaroos. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Challenging Trades. We'll see you guys again at the end of the week. And Drew will be back in two weeks. Be on the lookout for our next few shows. And we are excited to hear from you. If you do want to reach out to us, please reach out to us on Spotify. Leave us a comment. Find us on Facebook. We can be found at Challenging Trades on Facebook. We're really happy to hear any comments from our viewers. And if you want to let us, if you want us to talk about certain things, uh, maybe you don't want to talk about the metaverse, just let us know what you want to hear. And we will put a show on just for you. Aloha. Oh, not yet. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.